This episode of the EdSurge podcast is brought to you with support from UNC Chapel Hill's Master of Arts in Educational Innovation, Technology, and Entrepreneurship program, or MITE. That's M-E-I-T-E. A forward-thinking program that develops leaders in educational innovation. Hello and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young. These days, working at a fast food restaurant or other service industry job often comes with a new benefit, a college education. More employers, at least, are offering tuition assistance to workers or even letting them take courses for free. These are big name companies doing this. Starbucks, Walmart, Chipotle, McDonald's, just to name a few. And they're hoping the move will attract workers and keep them from leaving so quickly. And for colleges, these efforts can be a source of new students especially for new online programs that that many colleges are building these days. To give you a sense of how big this trend is growing, there's a company called Guild Education, a startup that helps set up and run these education benefit programs by connecting big companies and colleges. It's now a unicorn, meaning it's valued at more than a billion dollars. That makes it one of the highest valued education companies out there. But how well do these education as a benefit programs work? And who do they work for? This is part two of our two-part series on these questions. Last week, we, we looked at how algorithms have changed the culture of low-wage and service work in recent years. Our guest for that was Emily Gindelsberger, who recently spent time working several of these jobs, including about a month behind the counter in a McDonald's restaurant. It was for a book she wrote called On the Clock, and the picture she paints isn't pretty, at least from the worker's perspective. The problem, she says, is that jobs are increasingly being designed so that anyone can just come in with very little training and do them, essentially treating employees like robots and and tracking their productivity in ways that she found oppressive. If you are constantly watched for every second of possible slack time that you have, your life is miserable. Like, I don't care what you do. I don't care how much you like your job. Like, it is miserable. And people shouldn't have to live that way. We'll be referring to that interview throughout this episode. And so if you missed it, you may want to stop and and go listen to that one before you continue this one. You'll learn what a clopin is if you don't already know that term. So this week, we'll hear from folks running these new education as a benefit programs. They argue that that these kind of programs are the answer to dealing with the challenges of how automation is changing the world of work. I first connected with Lisa Schumacher, head of education at McDonald's. The company calls its program Archways to Opportunity, You get it? Old golden arches there. I gave her the chance to respond to some of what our guest last week said. Let me just jump into that interview here. When I spoke with this author, she mentioned that from her time spent in a couple of of these um, jobs was was this sense that it was was just uh, a Taylorism, which this idea that probably a lot of our listeners know of, of kind of this idea of like kind of creating this very mechanized worker that can, um, very efficiency based and we hear a lot about efficiency these days that it's sort of gone run amok in capitalism not to blame any one institution but that there was this sense that people need to be working at this kind of inhuman um pace that it was kind of baked into you know basically people's idea of work and that you know it's gone from oh these are hard jobs which which of course like you know people do expect a job to be work to something that it is is not you know honoring the human and sort of treating people like robots and i guess i think her 
comment was really more on the larger kind of framework and the kind of narrative around around modern day work and and that she felt like you know in a way this kind of narrative is broken that and that there's almost too much being asked of workers and not a sense anymore that employers have of like helping them you know have this this full life while they're working not just prepare them for some other future job where they would have a less grueling life yeah so i I obviously i can't i can't speak to her experience but i can speak to my own personal experience um, of spending time in in our restaurants Um, i was in a restaurant just a couple months ago uh, for four or five hours and certainly not the experience i had i functioned as a guest experience lead so sort of front of the house right helping people that wanted to use the kiosk taking trays out um, it is a, it is efficient um, and it needs to be um, people who are coming through our drive-through uh, at busy times who um, also have hard jobs and have you know a, not a lot of time to spare at lunch we certainly want that 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 food to come to them quickly um, but you know I spend a decent amount of time with our franchisees um, they are for the most part small business owners um, and you know the again the experience I have is that they care v- very much about the restaurant employees. Um, they, um, in in many cases, are like family to them. They have people that have been working for them for a long time, or they have generations that have worked for them. Um, and again, 80% of our franchisees have have people participating in in archways. Um, I had a franchisee say to me a couple uh, a couple months ago that he always wanted to be a teacher. He's a second generation operator. He went to school thinking he was going to not be part of the McDonald's system. That he was going to be a teacher. Um, and that's not the path that he took. He's now, uh, again, a second generation operator, uh, second generation franchisee. But he said, I feel like I am a teacher. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm helping these high school kids really um, navigate the, their, their path, whether that path is, is at McDonald's, whether that path is into education. Um, and he said, and many of them, I'm their support. They don't have a lot of other support. So I'm, I'm functioning in that role, the my local franchisee, I call it my McDonald's, right? The one down the street from my house that I take my boys to. Um, she helps her uh, her employees fill out FAFSA forms uh, because for many of them, the their parents never had to do that. They don't know what a FAFSA form is. They're not sure um, what needs to be done there. So she plays that role for them. And I, you know, that is a that is a really very very common story. Um, when you talk to uh, McDonald's restaurant employees and our franchisees. For those who listened last week, you might be thinking, are they talking about the same job here? Remember, from the employee perspective given last week, this gig at McDonald's felt like being turned into a drone. But from the point of view of this McDonald's executive, the goal is to use technology to make things more human and, and make the job a better stepping stone to a future career. So at McDonald's, we talk about uh, that we're committed to being America's best first job. And so the question I often ask people is, you know, how many people had a first job? Everybody raises their hand, of course. Um, How many of you had a first job in in retail or in food service? And many people raise their hand. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, How many people had a first job at McDonald's? Uh, I I don't know if there's exact research behind this, but I've read that one in eight Americans uh, had their first job at McDonald's. The, The point being that people learn a lot in their first job, right? They, those, those soft skills or power skills or work readiness skills are the many things that we, we call things like um, showing up for work on time, being in the right uniform, uh, you know, working well with your, with your coworkers, um, uh, customer service skills, listening, dealing with difficult customers, right? All that, 
all of those skills, um, most oftentimes people can point back to that first job where they, where they learn those skills. And so we believe uh, at McDonald's that people who work in our restaurants are learning those job readiness skills. And now because of our choice to opportunity, they're also getting access to, to education. So again, whether that's learning the language, getting a high school diploma, getting a college degree, uh, we also offer advising services to help them navigate um, higher education. Uh, we are preparing them for what's next. For some of them, what's next might be within the McDonald's system, whether that's moving up in the restaurant, whether that's moving up in a franchisee organization. Um, some of them may move into uh, McDonald's corporate jobs, but a majority of them are going to move on to something else. Um, and so if we're America's best first job, how do we prepare them for what's next? You mentioned kind of these skills, skills building, um, which is certainly talked about a lot um, these days in in this kind of workplace, uh, future of work and education conversations that we're often involved in. And one of the things that it seems that is happening in a lot of workplaces is is a kind of, some would argue like a de-skilling, but a very computerized kind of way of, of working, which is is good to bring in people and help train them quickly. Like you can see the benefits of this. Um, from the corporate side, but then the question is like, are they are are you building skills? Um, does that leave people with skills to build on, so to speak? If if there's been a de-skilling of the work at at America's first job. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure if I, I completely understand your question, but let me let me try to answer what I think you're asking. So, you know, I, I would say if you if you go into if you've been into a McDonald's restaurant recently, um, you know, they they look different. Um, and quite honestly, they function a bit differently, right? So the way that you can order food um, looks different than it did even, even five years ago, right? So you can use mobile order and pay, right? You can do it on your phone and then somebody brings it out to you. Um, you can walk in the restaurant and use the kiosk and then go sit down and somebody brings your food to your table. Um, you can have it delivered to you, right? So there's different, the, the restaurant is really functioning in a, in a different way. Um, so, so I would say that, that in addition to the existing skills to, to work in a McDonald's restaurant, um, there's an additional set of skills, right? If, if I used to be sort of behind the, um, behind the, the counter, um, and now my job is to actually go to the table and bring somebody their food and say, you know, here's your, here's your meal, sir. Is there anything else I can get you? Right. It's a different skill set. It's, it's much more, um, hospitality sort of customer service focused and less, um, transactional. Um, I would say so. I think um, in addition, again, to sort of those, those core sets of skills that we've always taught uh, restaurant employees, there's an additional set of skills um, that, that um, we're now asking of, of restaurant employees. After the break, we step back and look at the bigger vision behind making education and employee benefit in low-wage jobs. And we talk to the CEO of that billion-dollar company connecting colleges and employers. Stay with us. UNC's Mighty program is open to innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs interested in making an impact using technology. Mighty features coursework customized to your interests and an internship with a leading-edge edtech company in the research triangle. You'll have the opportunity to create learning environments and design breakthrough edtech. Join them December 4th from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for a virtual information session. Learn more on their website, ed.unc.edu slash M-E-I-T-E. Of course, there are plenty of forces driving places like McDonald's to offer tuition benefits to their workers. Just last month, a group called the Strata Education Network released a report on the new learning ecosystem. 
looking at the broader employment landscape and arguing for building an education to employment system where colleges, employers, and nonprofits come together to help more people advance from low-wage work to more stable careers through education. Michelle Weiss, the, the Senior Vice President for Workforce Strategies and the Chief Innovation Officer at Strata, says today's scattershot approach just isn't working. For so many decades, we've had systems that have existed as silos. So if you think about our K-12 system, our post-secondary system, our workforce training systems, they, they have functioned in this way where they're not really communicating or working together in service of the learner. These days sort of feel like they're coming to an end where people are realizing that the impact of, of, of what they're doing within these separate systems doesn't necessarily seem to be making it easier or more easily navigable for learners to, to, to navigate any sort of job transition. She praises the work of employers like McDonald's, but she says that a better scaffolding needs to be built and that colleges need to change their offerings too to really make these education benefits something that more workers actually use. So for people who are not thriving in the labor market, they are stitching together a lot of different jobs to make ends meet. It's hard for them to sort of take on an extra layer of complexity. And even if it's a free opportunity from their employer to pursue a two or a four year degree, say, it doesn't get at this idea of this, what is the precise skills or competencies that I need to build so that I can actually make, maybe make my way to a better job so I'm not necessarily stitching together four or five different jobs to make ends meet. We, we kind of always ask learners, adult learners, to add in this learning on top of everything else they have going on in their lives. And so that's where I think as, as great as it is for employers to get involved on the, in, you know, on supporting tuition reimbursement programs, the general consensus is that for many of these employers, they don't expect full take up of, you know, like 100% of their employees to actually leverage that HR benefit. And it is an HR benefit, right? Like it's different from talent development. In fact, typical participation rates in these programs are in the single digits, like 5% of qualified workers actually using them in a lot of places. As part of the research for this ecosystem report they did, Strata interviewed low-wage workers to see what they needed from an education benefit. We interviewed uh, this one guy who we just call Steve. We anonymize their their names. Sure. And um, Steve's an interesting person because he's 51 years old. He is the breadwinner for his entire family. And he is he did not see college in the cards for him when he was younger. And so he went through multiple jobs before he kind of found a way to start training himself up in IT support and became an IT support specialist. He's the guy kind of under our desks in the attic spaces above us, you know, building networks for, you know, different, different organizations. He's now kind of having some back and shoulder issues and he realizes he can't just keep doing this work. And what was fascinating to hear from him is in his mind, he's trying to think about, I need to work for maybe another 15 years because I even have a grandson who's dependent on me. And he's, as he's trying to consider his options, he thinks, well, you know, I really like kids. Maybe I'll become a school teacher because it seems like a really stable job. That's the kind of way we think about job transitions, right? We kind of go to what is familiar versus trying to think about 
how do I leverage my 20 years of IT support experience and transfer some of it or a lot of it into a new domain or some kind of adjacent domain? Mm -hmm. We don't have mechanisms for that. And that's why, you know, as we think about the new learning ecosystem, when we have that sort of show me piece, the navigation piece, learners need a way to understand and assess all their existing skills and capacities and assets and their hidden skills, things that are just not ever recognized by a formal credential. And we just don't have those. So we don't have a way for Steve to figure out what that he actually does have, you know, 70% of what he needs to become a systems analyst or 60% of what he needs or 80% of what he needs to become a project manager, right? We need those kinds of tools and resources for learners and they just don't exist. We need a new learning ecosystem that helps people at every phase of their education and career discovery, right? From the funding, the learning, the training, and the working. Right now, there's a ton of point solutions out there and a lot of innovations out there and a lot of funders and a lot of people working in this space but they're not necessarily knit together in a way that is understandable and transparent to an adult learner, right? And especially an adult learner who maybe doesn't use the internet in the same ways that you and I do. Um, and so mm. I think the real opportunity is to sort of build a common vision. We've tried to basically build a vision that many, many groups can buy into. We're not saying that this is what Strahd is gonna do on its own. It's, it's something, it's a belief system for us. And this is generally the kinds of questions that we want to answer, but we want to do this with and build a coalition of education providers and nonprofits and government and businesses to actually work together towards this common vision. And I think that's, what's different is it's not, it's sort of this um, humble recognition that we cannot expect that a single player can come in and solve this problem. That's why we like the word ecosystem is that there's so much interdependence and interconnectedness within the system. There are so many people and things involved in this very complicated, you know, space between education and workforce. And it's not going to be solved by a single player. I'm certainly not endorsing Strata's approach here, but it is definitely an example of the energy and resources uh, and attempts to change things around workforce and education. A different example, as I said at the top of the show, is, is the rise of Guild Education, that unicorn company connecting colleges and employers. Here's how that company's CEO and co-founder, Rachel Carlson, frames the problem and their approach. You know, you look back on the history of other benefits and often they were driven by some sort of market force or a desire to either enhance an employer experience or drive to parity. And I think healthcare is a great example of a parity benefit where employers have all offered it because others have. And in fact, the public sector did it first and then the private sector followed in the 60s. I think education benefits are a really unique version of benefit. And, and it's why we talk about it as being more than a benefit because it actually creates an ROI for the employer as well. When you think about all the things an employer could be involved in in their employee's life, there's healthcare, there's 401k and retirement savings. There's companies that offer gym benefits. Uh, education is actually closest tied to what the employer understands about the employee and where they both have opportunity to mutually benefit or win, uh, create a win-win. And, and that's because employers understand the skills of their employees and they understand what the skills gaps are. And so as you're thinking about what does a future look like for a frontline worker or a middle wage worker, 
the employer often has a lot of insight into helping them either move up through the company or move out and move beyond the company if there aren't enough opportunities for promotion by helping them upscale or rescale. Of course, the idea of an education benefit is not totally new, but Carlson's company and others that have come around in the past few years are trying to make it easier for more people to actually take advantage of these programs. Prior to us doing our work, we did a lot of research on this. And the, the biggest obstacle was the model of tuition reimbursement. Um, so by asking the employee to pay up front and then waiting for the employer to pay them back, you think about if that was the case with healthcare, right? Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm pregnant and I'm going to go have a baby. Okay, cool. You need to pay the hospital up front and we'll reimburse you in December, right? It, that'd be untenable. And that's effectively what we were doing with, with education benefits prior. And so what happened was only corporate officers and wealthy white collar workers were using the benefit. And so the, the key difference that we found and, and by unlocking opportunity, what we've been able to do is connect the universities and the employers directly. It's what our software platform does such that the employee no longer has to pay up front. And mm. that has dramatically increased access and opportunity for low and middle income workers to actually be able to take the step forward and go back to school. As I talk with folks about this, I kept thinking back to my first job, working minimum wage when I was in high school. But that was a long time ago. And, and these days, statistics show that fewer teenagers do things like work at McDonald's over the summer. I was curious what the McDonald's executive, Lisa Schumacher, thought of that trend and, and how it factors into what the company is doing to design its education programs. High school kids, right? The first thing I did when I could get my work permit when I turned, I think it was 14, is I went and got a job, right? That's just kind of what, what you did. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that's the case anymore, right? So kids have lots of, I have two um, kids that are 13 and 10, and there's lots and lots of activities. Um, and so I think that, um, that's part of it. I think the expectations of sort of traditional higher ed and what, um, both parents and children alike think about what they need on their quote unquote resume, um, to get into that particular school, um, unfortunately doesn't often include work, right? It, it includes being in this club and in this sport and being a leader in this and doing volunteer work, right? All of those things. Um, so, you know, again, I'll go to this idea of a first job. I think we're losing sight of the importance of, of that first job. And I think we're going to have, um, a, a generation who, you know, you hear this from, uh, in research and you hear it from leaders, human resources leaders all the time about, um, kids who come out of really, you know, uh, highly rated four-year institutions who have the technical skills, right? They have the smarts, let's say, um, to perform those jobs, but do they have those job readiness skills? Do they have the social skills um, to really be, um, to, to really be successful in, in those jobs? Uh, and oftentimes the answer is no, mm -hmm. um, right? The, those job readiness skills and work, uh, uh, soft skills or power skills, um, are oftentimes lacking. And, and I think they're lacking. And I think lots of people would agree is because people aren't necessarily, this generation isn't necessarily getting those job readiness skills from an employer, right? They're, they're trying to learn them in a classroom, potentially, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Um, and maybe that's not the best way to learn, uh, to learn those skills. What was your first job back at that age? Yeah. So my first job was at uh, a fast food restaurant that was not McDonald's. So we'll let it remain, remain nameless. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. I, I, I was a cashier at a gift shop at a museum. So yeah. Um, yeah. And you think about, right. Think about the skills that you learned in that job. Um, 
yeah, it was not computerized, but it was, um, but, but I did, I did have to, uh, yeah, deal with, deal with people the, in a way. All right. So are these low wage jobs becoming a better archway to opportunity than in the past? Or as our guest last week argued, are they even more of a dead end job than ever, despite these education benefits? Are teenagers not choosing to work at these jobs because they're stressed about college applications? Or is it just as much because the jobs have become soul-crushing experiences that some have the privilege to simply opt out of? I kept coming back to this idea of the clopin, that term for when employee scheduling algorithms ask the same worker to close a restaurant late at night and report back early the next morning to open again, without regard for how, how taxing that is on most humans to function with so little sleep. What did our guests this week have to say about these scheduling algorithms and, and whether that was possibly a, a bigger issue even than, than free tuition perks? Here's Lisa Schumacher from McDonald's. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I would say we, a majority of our restaurants, about 96% of our restaurants are owned by our franchisees and they, um, they handle that piece of it, right? So they, they schedule um, and have scheduling systems that, that obviously meet their, their business needs. Um, flexibility has always been something that um, uh, McDonald's and, and our franchisees have been, been proud of. Um, the conversations that I have with our franchisees is that they are um, eager to have students working in their restaurants, whether that's high school students or um, college students, and they understand that there is a need to schedule around um, things like classwork. Um, about 80% of our franchisees have people who are leveraging the Archway's benefits, um, which means those folks are in school. Um, not all of them are in, you know, brick and mortar type classes, um, but certainly many of them are attending local community colleges, for example. Um, so, you know, from, from my perspective, and certainly I'm not somebody working in the restaurants, but from my perspective, um, you know, flexibility is at the, at the top of the list um, when, when franchisees are, are recruiting um, employees in their, in their restaurants. Just to be clear, isn't it, there's there's not a McDonald's central kind of app available to help scheduling or, or algorithm? I'm probably not using the right term. That's up to each franchisee. Yes. Okay, so there's not some directive to do it a certain way. No, absolutely not. Um, and that any any um, uh, anything that has to do with labor or uh, human capital in the restaurant is at the sole discretion of that independent franchisee. Okay, so maybe clopins aren't forced on workers by a central computer, but somehow the incentives must be there driving this behavior from local owners. I asked Rachel Carlson of Guild what she thought of the scheduling concerns raised by our guest last week. I think that's a, a completely fair concern. Um, and I think, you know, we don't work with either of those companies. And I, I, I know a little bit about that book, though I haven't read it all. I think I read an excerpt. Um, I think there's a movement around fair scheduling that's really important. And so zooming out more broadly as we think about, you know, the stability of frontline workforces, I think fair scheduling and scheduling practices. And we have a number of companies who've been really deliberate about moving to a model where the employees get, you know, weeks or months insight into their upcoming schedules makes a really big difference. Uh -huh. uh, I think what we've seen some universities, not necessarily for guild sake, but just trying to do in general for all of their uh, working adults who are going back to school is adopting more competency-based models or flexible uh, class scheduling models that accommodate more of the new traditional workforce. You know, if the, the old traditional work or uh, student base was the 18-year-old going to school full-time who didn't have a job, who didn't have right. any 
constraints. The new, you know, student is in their 30s and either has a complex salary job with not a lot of flexibility or might have a frontline job with less scheduling flexibility than should exist. And so I think some solutions may innovate from the university side, but I think a lot of employers are also taking that issue seriously and, and thinking about how to create transparency and, and um, more predictability in schedules, which is really important. I, we all, everyone who works with corporate America believes corporate America has areas to improve. <laughs> so I just sure. want to make sure you know we think sure. that too. We no, are I think really delighted to get to be a partner of theirs on the thing we really believe in. So scheduling is like we would never go to the mat and say yeah the the workforce structure is perfect and we're just slotting education in there so everyone i talked with thought something needs to change as far as how these service jobs function in our broader economy and and there's definitely not a consensus yet on what that change should be exactly if there's one takeaway from this series it's that the dream of expanding college access by partnering with employers is hard to pull off it's hard for the colleges, the workers, and the businesses, who all have different and sometimes conflicting priorities. This has been the EdSurge Podcast. We'd love to hear from you about this intersection of education and work. What was your first job, and how did it lead to whatever you're doing now? And what's the best way to create a bridge between the low-wage workforce and more stable careers? Send me your thoughts to jeff at edsurge.com, and we'll try to feature some on a future episode. To make sure you don't miss future shows, please subscribe to the EdSurge podcast wherever you listen. And if you like this one, tell a friend. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more about how education is changing. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.